Okay, we are in, in Matthew chapter 27, reading from verse 33. Matthew 27, verse 33. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, They gave him wine to drink, mixed with gall, and after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. And when they had crucified him, they divided up his garments among them, among themselves by casting lots. And sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there. And above his head, they put up this charge against him, which reads, This is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And at that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him, wagging their heads and saying, You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself if you are the Son of God. Come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and the elders, were were mocking him, saying, He saved others. He cannot save himself. He is the King of Israel. Let Let him now come down from the cross. And we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God rescue him. Now, if he delights in him. For he said, I am the son of God. The robbers who had been crucified with him were also insulting him with the same words. Now from the sixth hour, darkness fell upon the land until the ninth hour. About the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani. That is, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who were standing there, when they heard it, began saying, This man is calling for Elijah. Immediately one of them ran, and taking a sponge, he lifted up, he, he, he lifted up with sour wine and put it on a reed and gave him a drink. But the rest of them said, Let us see whether Elijah will come and save him. And Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Okay, so, going back to verse 33 of chapter 27 of Matthew. And when they came to a place called Golgotha, which means place of the skull, they gave him wine to drink mixed with gall. And after tasting it, he was unwilling to drink. So it was common practice when a person was being crucified was to give them a a stupefier or an anodyne, something that would numb the pain. And, uh, but Jesus, as soon as he tasted that that's what was in it, wouldn't drink it at all, had, had nothing to do with it. Uh, Jesus wanted to understand everything that was around him. He wanted nothing of, of that. And then it says, and they crucified him, and they divided up his garments among themselves by casting lots. That is a prophecy from the, the Old Testament which we will look at. They prophesied that they would, they would actually divide up his, his garments except one of the garments which was seamless that they would, they would uh, cast lots for. And so as you read the four different gospel accounts, you see that that's exactly what happened, and that's exactly the way it was prophesied. You know, some people had said up until the 1930s or 1940s that much of the New Testament had been written actually uh, uh, to fit what was taking place in the Old Testament. 
And that's not the case at all. And they, they said that the New Testament was written much later and was modified. And that's not the case at all. And in fact, when the Dead Sea Scrolls were found in the late 1930s and then the translations were, were, were given up, all of the Hebrew scriptures were found. The, our entire Old Testament was found except for the book of Esther in the Dead Sea Scrolls. And they're essentially exactly like we have it in our scriptures. And we know that the prophecies were there. The prophecies were intact and were in place. And then these accounts happened just as, as what was written. And so, go ahead and investigate it. You'll see. Then he says, and sitting down, they began to keep watch over him there. So the soldiers, it was their job to make sure that Jesus did not come off this cross alive. They were going to ensure that Jesus died on that cross. And it says, and above his head, they put this charge against him, which reads, this is Jesus, the King of the Jews. And at that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on his right and one on his left. And those passing by were hurling abuse at him and wagging their heads. And in fact, from some of the other gospel accounts, it says even the two robbers or malefactors who were crucified on either side of him were also hurling abuse at him. Later on, one of the, the, the two robbers, one of the two malefactors, actually turned and stopped, stopped uh, hurling abuse and turned to Jesus and asked him to re- be remembered. And Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. But at first, the, even the two robbers that were being crucified with him were hurling abuse. People, it says, were walking by, and it says they were hurling abuse at him and wagging their heads. Sort of a mockery sort of thing. And this is what they were saying in verse 40. You who are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. So the very words that were used against Jesus in his first trial, actually his first and his second trial, the, the, the words that they tried to come against Jesus. Remember, we, we read this. What Jesus actually said was, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up again. And it says, meaning that he was speaking of his body. But he never said, I will destroy this temple. And then the false testimony came, two false testimonies, and they didn't agree, so they couldn't hold him on that charge. So they're abusing him with a very charge that didn't even hold up against him in their own courts. And it says, you are going to destroy this temple and rebuild it in three days. Save yourself. They took words that Jesus said, changed them, and then used those words against Jesus. One day, when your very words are used against you and changed, remember this verse, that it happened to Jesus. And then they say to him, save yourself. Now remember what the enemy wants, Satan. Satan does not want Jesus dead in this way. Satan would love for Jesus to just die and go away but not on this day and not in this way. Because Jesus prophesied that he would die by crucifixion. It was the Passover day. It was 9 a.m., the Passover morning, the day that, that the, uh, uh, the Passover lamb was, was, uh, uh, was offered up was 9 a.m. on Friday morning. And this is the time that this is occurring. This is not what Satan had in mind. And so the taunting starts to come to have Jesus come down from the cross and not die in this way. 
The taunting comes from the enemy. And he uses people. The taunting comes in our lives to try to get us to do something other than the will of God so that we don't walk in God's way or in His time. And so they say to Him, save yourself. Then it says, if you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. In the same way, the chief priests also and the scribes and the elders were mocking him and saying, He saved others, he cannot save himself. You see the taunting. That go ahead, save yourself, come out of this situation. This is the ploy of the enemy. Remove yourself from that situation, which is immediately painful for you. Remove yourself from it and be free of it. And in fact, if they go on to say... He is the King of Israel. Let Him now come down from the cross and we will believe in Him. Oh, what an offer. All I've got to do is come down and then they'll believe in me. But guess what? They're liars. Remember, people lie. This taunting comes. Let Him come down now from the cross and we will believe in Him. Why doesn't Jesus take Him up on it? Wants the Pharisees to believe, doesn't he? All he's got to do is come down. And they said they'll believe, right? So if they said it, we ought to believe it, right? They said that then they'll believe. But Jesus doesn't come down. Then he says, he trusts in God. Let God rescue him. Now, if he delights in him. For he said, I am the Son of God. You see what he says? He trusts in God. Let God deliver him. If he were really of God, God would deliver him. If he really was from God, God would deliver him. Yeah, we've tacked him up to this cross, but he was, if he was really from God, God would deliver him. And then we would see, he'd come down from the cross, and then we'd all believe. But Jesus knows the scriptures very well. Turn to Psalm 22. We had started this last week. But this is... This, is, this entire psalm is concerning the crucifixion event. And in Psalm 22, we read uh, verses, nine, uh, v- verses 1 onward, but I'll pick it up again. Psalm 22, verse 1. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groanings. And remember... You and I can never say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And it mean much. God will never forsake us. He will never reject us. For three hours, from noon until 3 p.m., Jesus was cut off from a relationship with the Father. And that's why he says, my God, my God. Every other time in the Bible, he says, my Father or Father. But only on the cross, only in that instance did he say, my God, my God, for that three-hour period. And then after the three hours was up of separation from God, he then says, Father, receive my spirit. He was reunited with the Father. This is a cry that only Jesus could have said and and it mean anything. Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer, and by night, but I have no rest. Yet you are holy. You are the one... And and you who are enthroned above the praises of Israel, in you our fathers trusted, they trusted, and you delivered them. 
To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. You see what Jesus is doing? He doesn't see deliverance for himself, so what he does is he reflects back on all the times that God had delivered his fathers in the Scriptures. All the time God had delivered other people, he reflects on that and says, they couldn't see, yet your deliverance was sure. Now in verse 6, But I am a worm and not a man, a reproach of men, and despised by the people. All who see me sneer at me. They separate with the lips. They wag the head, saying, Commit yourself to the Lord. Let Him deliver Him. Let Him rescue Him, because He delights in Him. You see what this is? What the Pharisees said to Him on the cross, God delights in Him, let Him save Him, is exactly written here. Jesus knew exactly the taunting that was coming were the very words that were being thrown at Him now on the cross. This was all ordained. Commit yourself to the Lord. Let Him deliver Him. Let God rescue him because he delights in him, in verse 8. And then what Jesus says is, You, yet you who brought me forth from the womb, you made me trust when upon my mother's breasts. Upon you I was cast from birth. You have been my God from my mother's womb. You know, think of a, of a little child. A little child is in, it, in his crib or in her crib. A fire starts. There's no way the child can deliver themselves. Unless somebody were there to deliver the child from the burning home, the child dies. They can't get up. Jesus said, from my mother's breast, you were there with me. You've been with me all my life. You will see me through. The pains that you and I go through were not foreign to Jesus. But what he did is he reflected on the past deliverances both written in the Scriptures and in his own life, and he says, God, you will deliver me. Turn to Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4. The taunting that came from Satan on the cross is very similar to the temptation that was thrown at him by the enemy when he was in the wilderness. In Matthew chapter 4, reading from verse 1. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights, he then became hungry. And the tempter came to him and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. Remember what was coming on the cross? If you are the Son of God. If you are the Son of God. And the tempter here comes and says, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become bread. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. If you are the Son of God, turn these stones into bread and eat. Go ahead. You have to feed yourself. You haven't eaten for 40 days. You know, God isn't really going to sustain you. You better turn these stones into bread. Will God really sustain you? Will God be your sustenance? Will God really sustain you in your life? You know, sometimes I, I see young people working very hard in their university in order to do well in life and to have a good career. 
And I even see believers doing this to the complete exclusion of God in their lives. And it's almost as if what I get out of life is going to be totally dependent on me. And that's not what the scriptures say. It says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. God will be your sustenance. And if you want to be sustained, it is not going to be just by the money that you make in your careers. That is not what will sustain you alone. You must have the word of God in your life. Without that, there will not be the sustenance. You know, I've had the the opportunity to meet many very, very wealthy people in this city. Very wealthy people. You know, they they listed some of the wealthiest people in the world. And several of them live in this city. And I've met many of these people. And I look at their lives. And in many ways, the only thing that's there is if they're believers that they talk about that really deeply excites them, is the Lord. And if they're unbelievers, it's like there's nobody home in there. It is not the bread alone that will sustain you. It is the very Word of God. And he says, if you are the Son of God, go ahead and do this. Go ahead and do this. One day I was, when I was a student, I was in the student center and I was going around and, and I would share the gospel with people and I walked up to these two guys who were sitting at one table there in the student center and I started to talk with them about the Lord. And one guy said to me, okay, if you're a Christian, make this ashtray. And that's when they had ashtrays on table because on tables because people could smoke in those days. Now, now, now smoking is, 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 is sinning. Back then it wasn't. <laughs> and so there was an ashtray on the table. He says, go ahead, make this ashtray rise up. And then I'll believe and become a Christian. Go ahead. Make it rise up. Then I'll believe. I wasn't going to even try that one. (laughs) I knew I couldn't make it rise up. But people will challenge you. Challenge you to do things. And they'll say, if you do this, then I'll believe. But there's no truth in that. People say, oh, you're a Christian. You pray for the sick. Why don't you go to the hospital and get all those people well, and then I'll believe. Well, they're lying. They won't believe. There is so much more to God than just changing a stone into bread. Jesus said there's something much deeper and that's the very Word of God that will sustain you in your life. You will come to a point where you will see that I need something so much deeper. This is then magnified to us. In verse 5 of Matthew chapter 4, Then the devil took him into the holy city and said, Stand here on the pinnacle of the temple. And said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, On the other hand, it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So the enemy comes to him again and says, if you are the Son of God, do this. And he puts him on the pinnacle of the temple and he said, go ahead, jump off. Because doesn't the Bible say that God will protect you? That his angels will bear you up with their hands lest you strike a foot, strike your foot on a stone? Doesn't the Bible say that? Look at what the enemy does. 
The enemy is using the Bible against Jesus. The enemy is quoting the Bible against Jesus. And this is not unusual. People will do this. People will challenge you as a believer quoting the very Bible. And look what Jesus does. He just says, on the other hand, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. What he's talking about is, is um, in Deuteronomy 6.16, Jesus is quoting Deuteronomy 6.16, and Deuteronomy 6.16 says, don't put the Lord your God to the test as you did, as, as you did it in Massa. And then you look it up in Exodus 17.7 is where they put the Lord the God to the test. They did not believe that God would supply them with water. They did not believe it. And they grumbled against Moses and they complained against him. Now let's turn to Psalm 91. Just remember what, 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 uh, what the enemy had used against Jesus. He quoted Psalm 91. He said, He will command his angels charge concerning you. On their hands they will bear you up so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. And you go to Psalm 91 and you can read where Satan was quoting from. Psalm 91, verse 11. For he will give his angels charge concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will bear you up in their hands that you do not strike your foot against a stone. Now let's look at the next verse. You will tread upon the lion and the cobra, the young lion and the serpent you will trample down. Isn't it interesting that Satan didn't quote that one? I mean, he stopped. It was a very selective quotation. Because the next verse is a proclamation that he himself is going to be trampled down by Jesus. The enemy will even use verses against us. And that is even what it says that, that the religious leaders were doing. When Jesus was on the, on the cross, they were using verses of Scripture against Jesus. But Jesus knew the scriptures much better. That those very scriptures were speaking of his deliverance. God will care for you. Will he really care for me? This is what's against us. Will he really sustain me? Will he really care for me? He cares for other people, but does he really care for me? And this is what Jesus says. He says, you don't have to put the Lord your God to the test. There's going to be plenty of tests in your life automatically. And plenty of opportunity for you to trust in God, for Him to see you through. But we are under perpetual temptation by the devil to think that God will not take care of us. And God puts the opportunity one after another in our lives. Will He sustain me? Will He take care of me? And then the last temptation in Matthew chapter, chapter 4, verse 8. And again the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give to you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, go Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and began to minister to him. So look at what the bottom line outcome was. 
Is He going to sustain you? Is He going to take care of you? And finally, worship me. Bow down and worship me and everything you see here I will give you. Everything you see here I will give you. This very temptation hits every one of us. Will we walk God's way or not? Will we walk God's way? Or will we choose the way of the world? It is so much easier just to slip off this cross and to say, I'll follow you, Satan. I'll take the world. But remember, you know, I've, I've had believers tell me that ever since I've come to the Lord, I just feel so overcome by so many things. It was easier in the world, and I think you don't know what you're talking about. God is not a hard taskmaster. Satan really is. Satan is a very hard taskmaster. You want to be in the world with him? You know, I, I used to do prison ministry and occasionally guys would walk up and they, they, they'd try to fluster me and they'd say, oh, I worship Satan. I, and I'd say to them, you worship Satan? Why would you want to worship Satan? Worship a rock or a stone, but don't worship Satan. I mean, he's not a very nice guy. Why would you want to worship him? You see what Satan is getting at with Jesus. He says, worship me. And Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. There is only fulfillment in the worship of Jesus. Only fulfillment in worshiping God. That is it. Go ahead, amass money, and tell me how fulfilled you are. I have met those people. There is no fulfillment. They long to have what I have. How do I know? They tell me. Oh man, you want another wife. You're not happy with the wife you have. You want to run off with another. Go ahead. Go ahead. And you will not be fulfilled. Within five years, you will say, cry out and say, it is no better than what I had previously. You will not be fulfilled with another woman. Very often, I find... Women in their mid-twenties to late-twenties who are in the church who haven't yet found some guy to marry and all their friends around them are getting married and they feel like they have to just go out with some unbelieving guy and just start dating him. You know, I'll say, well, is he a believer? Well, not really. Not really. That means no, right? That means no. Not really means no. Because you can't not really be a believer without it being no. Either you're really a believer or you're not really a believer. And then what happens is after six months, their lives are just destroyed. They slip out of the church and I know it's coming. I see it all the time. I know it's coming. Let me warn you young women what happens when you date an unbelieving guy. You will end up in bed with him and if he doesn't marry you, you will feel all beat up after six months and you will feel dirty and abused. Because there is never fulfillment outside the ways of God. And if you do marry that young man, then you're really in for it. One young lady who used to be in this class, who, who, who uh, uh, was working in the community and... and and she met this unbelieving guy and, and she called up the house once and she said, 
you know, uh, um, and she talked to Shireen. She said, I want Dr. Tour to, to meet this guy. And Shireen said, is this guy a believer? And she said, no, he's not. And, and Shireen said, well, you know, Dr. Tour is going to call you on it. And he's going to say you have no business being engaged to this guy or even dating this guy because he's an unbeliever. Well, that was it. And she never called back. Because I wasn't about to tell her what she wanted to hear. Go ahead. Go with that unbelieving guy and you will really regret it. You really will. And this is what Jesus is saying. You shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Because you can't go after the things of the world. The enemy is taunting Jesus. Come down from that cross. Go ahead, come down. Then I'll believe. They wouldn't believe. There is this constant temptation that we are under to follow the ways of the world, to move away from God, to follow the things of the world. And at each step, it is the decision to worship God. Will I worship Him in this act of obedience to Him and to His Word and to His will? Or will I go my own way? And each decision we make that is against His will brings pain in our lives. Maybe immediate satisfaction, but eventual pain. And Jesus well knows this, and He had no intention of coming off that cross. Because He didn't believe the lies of the unbelievers, uh, of, of the people, uh, of the enemy that were being thrown at Him. And Jesus is here in the wilderness. And the enemy says, I'll give you all of this, everything you see, if you bow down and worship Me. And Jesus said, you shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Only in service to Him will you be fulfilled. Go ahead. Go ahead. Get your job and work your tail off in that job and forget about Jesus. And don't go to church on Sunday. And don't bring your family up in the ways of God because you've got to work really hard to excel in this job. Well, guess what? After 20 years on that job, you will really regret the decision that you had made. You may be CEO, but you will be miserable. You'll be on your third wife, your children will hate you, and your life will be an utter mess. You say, you don't know that. Oh, yes, I do. Not because I'm a prophet, but because I've seen it. I have amassed data points. And more data points will follow. They'll be the same way. And the scriptures say that this is what will happen. Remember, you're under perpetual temptation to follow the ways of the world. And the decision is, will we follow Jesus and walk in His ways? You know, I, was, I, I rarely go to movies unless somebody insists that I go with them. Rarely. Once in a while I'll go to a movie. But, but it is a very rare thing unless somebody says, you know, come to this movie with me. And... and uh, you, you know, for years it was it was Disney movies with my kids. You know, they wanted to see this movie or that movie. And, and uh, um, when I travel on airplanes, and I'm on airplanes every week, on a, I'm on an airplane, I almost never uh, uh, watch the movies because I'm too busy working on my computer. But, you know, they show you these snapshots of the movies and you get the sound because then they want you to rent the headsets and do the thing. But since... Since I fly so much, I sit in first class anyway, not because I need it. It's like a total waste for me to be in first class because I'm, I'm not tall, I'm not wide, and I don't eat in between meals. So it's like a total waste. But anyway, they put me in, the, in first class, so it's not like i got to pay extra for the headset or anything. It's all there. But when they were showing this, this beginning to this movie, and, and I'm not sure what movie it was or what, 
but it was, it was apparently where these police were going to go out and kill these bad guys, and it was against the law for them to kill the bad guys, but they were just going to go and wipe them out. And I saw them convincing this, you know what movie I'm talking about? And they, and they were, and, and so they were going to go out and just take out all these bad guys. And so the police were going to go out and commit murder, but it was a bad guy, so, you, you know, it was somehow okay. And they were convincing this young policeman, you've got to go do it with us. And so he's being barraged by all these men, and he's, you know, this young guy, like 22, 23 years old, and I'm thinking, there's no way he can stand. There is no way he can stand in this barrage of the senior members of his, his, his group saying, we really got to do this, we've got to take him out. And sure enough, the young guy succumbs, and they all they go and blow away all these bad people. And I'm thinking, this is exactly what it is with young lives. How could they ever stand with the onslaught of the world against them, saying, you really ought to do this, you ought to do these wicked things, and, 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 and there's no real rationale here to make them stand. And turn to Psalm 119, because Psalm 119 deals with this head on. Psalm 119 gives us the secret of success. Psalm 119, reading from verse 1. How blessed are those whose way is blameless, who walk in the law of the Lord. How blessed are those who observe His testimonies, who seek Him with all their heart. They also do no unrighteousness. They walk in His ways. You see what I mean? An act of worship is every time we are confronted with something, is to say, no, I will walk God's way. I will walk God's way is an expression of worship. I will not worship Satan. I will not bow before him. I will not take his ways. I will walk God's way. And now look in verse 9 of Psalm 119. How can a young man keep his way pure? By keeping it according to your word. You want to know, young man, you want to know, young woman, how you can keep your way pure? You make your way according to the word of God. And then you can stand against the onslaught of the world who tries to convince you to do evil. You can stand against the attack of the enemy who tries to get you to do evil. You can stand against the attack of the young man who says, if you really love me, you'll let me sleep with you. And we all know, standing here, that that is a, a, a brazen lie. But that's a common thing that's done. If you love me, you'll let me sleep with you. That's such a lie. We can agree that that is a lie here and now. But remember, the decision you make is here and now. The decision you make is, I will walk my life according to the ways of God. That's the decision we make. And so that then when we are thrust into the wilderness, and Satan is saying, just do this, and I'll give it to you. I'll give this to you. That we can resist it because of the decision we make now. How can you keep your way pure? You keep it according to His Word. You take your nose and you put it in this Word of God every day and you say, God, teach me your ways. And your life will be so blessed. Your life will be blessed. Your home will be blessed. Your children will be blessed. And God will sustain you, He will protect you, and He will give you a life where you will be fulfilled. Because only in the worship of God will there be fulfillment.
And I think, you know, you want to have peace, you want to have fulfillment, you will never have enough. It is never enough. As the scriptures say, the leech says, it is never enough. Life will never fulfill you without the worship of God. Only in the worship of God is the fulfillment. Each expression we make of obedience to Him is an expression of worship. I will walk your way. I will do what is right. As a father in a family, it is my job to wake up in my house and each morning teach my children the Word of God. This is my job. I have my own quiet time and then I have to wake them up and have their, the family time and I coordinate the family time. This is my job. You think that there's not some days that I'm tired that I'd rather not just say another? No, but this is my task. And each time I show forth this act of obedience, this is an act of expression of worship to God. That no, I will obey your word and I will teach my children the word of God as I am commanded to do. Each Sunday morning. You think there's not some Sunday mornings that I'd kind of like to sleep in? You know, I work Monday through Saturday. I mean, Sunday I'd kind of like to sleep in, but I can't. Because I have an obligation to my family, to the body of Christ, and I will not miss church. I mean, it, it takes, it, it takes a, a, a microbe about this big to get me down. Because I will just fight through this thing, and even if, if, you know, if my back hurts, if I'm not feeling good, if I feel feverish, I'm going to be here because of God. It is an act of expression of worship to God. And then I'm amazed at people, well, you know, I, I stubbed my toe so I didn't go to church. Oh. Sorry to hear that. Each expression that we make as a choice for God is an expression of worship. And in this, there is great fulfillment. You will only be fulfilled as you make decisions to walk His way and according to His commandments. And if we take the convenient and easy way off the cross each time we are confronted with it, we will not have a fulfilled life. We will be angry and upset and feel that the world never gives us enough. And as I look at my life, I can honestly say there is nothing that I want that I don't have. You say, well, you drive an old bomb of a car. That's all I want. That's all I need. I'm really quite happy with it. The air conditioner works. For the first, for the first ten years of my time being a professor, I had a car where the air conditioner didn't work. It was rough getting in the car after work and coming home just covered with sweat every day. So every time I get in the car and the air conditioner works, I got everything I need. It's amazing what you can be content with when you have God. And this is what Jesus says. He says you shall worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. Because only then is there contentment. In serving God there is contentment. I have this beautiful wife and these beautiful children. And I think, God, how much you've given me. And I live, my home, sometimes I look at it and I say, this is too big. I don't need all of this. God just given me so much. I don't desire a bigger home, I desire a smaller home. The only reason they have that, the larger home is so we could have people over, lots of them. But if it were just me, I'd live in a double wide. You know, and I'd be happy with it. Because God gives contentment 
when we're with Him. Without Him, the world can never give us enough. We will never be satisfied. You worship the Lord your God. You serve Him only. Don't come down off the cross that He places you on as a believer. And you walk with Him and you'll be satisfied. Let's pray. Father, thank You so much for what Jesus demonstrated that He wasn't coming down off that cross that he wasn't falling for the temptation of the devil. That he knew that he was the Son of God. He didn't need their testimony of it. He knew that you would deliver him and that you meant well for him and his deliverance was sure. Father, I pray for these young people that they would make a decision today to worship the Lord their God and to serve him only that these young women wouldn't settle for unbelieving young men or men that hardly believe anything at all, but they would wait for your timing in their lives. That these young men would dedicate themselves to you and so walk in marriages that are true and upright. That they wouldn't slip into other relationships with other women thinking that the grass is so much greener over there. If only over there I'd be happy. Because, Father, I pray that you would deliver them from that torment that would come. That they would learn to worship the Lord their God and to serve Him only. Father, I pray that you would so do that in their lives. And that they would rise up to be men that would follow your ways. That would walk in the responsibilities that you have for them as Christian men. And, Father that each one here would stay upon the crosses that you have for them in their lives and waiting for your deliverance. And each time when they're confronted, will God sustain you? Will God take care of you? That they would choose to walk God's way and to not choose the ways of the world. Father, so make them strong in you, I pray. In the name of Jesus. Amen.